Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher, addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, I am your host, Dallas Montague. Today we have a special guest, Reverend Tanya Kusi, and she is the president and co-founder of Loving the Least of These Ministries International a nonprofit that is fighting to rescue, restore, and reunify orphaned, abandoned, and disadvantaged Haitian street children into proper families. Tanya has 25 years of experience in motivating and mobilizing people in acts of compassion in Canada, the United States, Latin America, South Asia, Africa, and the Caribbean. She is captivating, passionate, and an animated storyteller that aims to inspire others to go, to give, and to risk the, their lives for the glory of God. Tanya has been living in Haiti for several years now, and she has an amazing testimony, an incredible testimony. She came out of an abusive home as a child, bullied and tortured in school, was addicted to drugs and alcohol in her teenage years. Tanya turned her life around in a dramatic fashion. She's now an entrepreneur, a missionary, a philanthropist, and a public speaker. With Tanya's story, she forces people to the edge of their seats as she shares her story from rescuing infants from ditches to fleeing the country through gunshots and road bombings in, in Haiti. Haiti, if you don't know, is a very dangerous country. Many people say that you shouldn't even go there unless you're really, really called. And Tani, we'll talk more about that today. But before we get into it, I want to share a quick testimony of my own. A few years ago, as many of you know, I was in a, a drug addiction myself. And one of the things that Tani kind of talks about is these children in Haiti. They're saying, why would God choose me? Why would God of the universe, if he's even real, why would he choose me? And something that I like to say is that something that Paul writes, he says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, I'm not saying that I've already arrived, but this is one thing that I do. Forgetting those things that are behind me, I press forward toward the goal. And when we embrace this reality, we can go higher. We can move forward. And what I like to say in my life and something that I've been able to preach in churches is that I refuse to allow my past to determine my future. I will not let my past be a prison that imprisons me, but I will be a school that educates me. I will take the lessons that I have learned and give them to God, and he will turn them into blessings. I was on my hands and knees at a place called Rock Bottom, the worst time of my life, and I knew there was only one escape from the life I was living. I cried out desperately to God, if you save me from this life that I'm living in, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And Jesus picked me up when I was still dirty, and he dusted me off. He placed rings on my fingers, a robe on my back, and a crown on my head. And in one moment, I was given the status of royalty. I was chosen by God before the beginning of the world. I was created in his image. But for the first time in my life, I truly understood what it meant to be a child of God. And in one moment, I was transformed from a drug addict to a child of God. Since that day, God has given me many opportunities to serve him in an amazing ministry called Adult and Teen Challenge of the Midlands in Iowa to help other men find freedom from addiction like I have found in Christ. I got to experience youth with a mission in Honolulu and do missionary training school and got to partner with them and go to Thailand and Cambodia. For the past five months, I've been in Brazil doing missions. And it's all glory to God that I'm here today. God chose me only because I said yes. God allowed me to be here today in Brazil only because I said, yes, it's nothing that I have done. And so you may say, why would God choose me? Why would God choose you? You know, you don't know the past that I've had. You don't know the things that I've done. It doesn't matter. Look at Paul. Paul is writing this. Paul is saying, you don't, I'm not going to let my past define my future. And Paul was persecuting Christians and coming against the church. And now he's Paul and he's writing the scriptures. And it's just incredible, that transformation of Paul. And so I'm saying to you today, this encouragement is that God has a plan for your life. You may have a horrible testimony, you may have a horrible life, but God can turn it around in an instant. As we listen to Tanya's story today, God transformed her out of a non-Christian home, gave her an experience of God, and in the beginning of her Christian life, she was led by the Holy Spirit of what Christianity should look like. And it's a very exciting testimony, it's a very exciting podcast today, so I look forward to you guys being able to hear it. Thank you guys. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our sponsors. 
You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for the best and easiest way to make money online? Join Robbie Blanchard in a free training at linctrader.com. That's linctrader.com. In this free training, Robbie will show you how to generate a passive income promoting informative products that people are just dying to use. Zero experience necessary to become a success with this system. Contact Robbie at linctrader.com today. You're not going to want to miss this free training. You were designed by God for a unique purpose. At this point, nothing could be done about your wasted years, but something can be done about your future in Christ. Your purpose is divine, and there is a time to everything, says Solomon. God has a plan for you. In Esau Jasper's new book, Finishing on Time, Roadmap to Kingdom Success, he introduces us to a powerful way to discover our purpose and insight into strategies for living the triumphant life. Esau Jasper's new book is available on Amazon. Pick up a copy today. Before we begin, I'm just going to say a quick prayer and we'll get started, okay? Mm. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity, for this podcast, for the platform that we have to reach people for Jesus. God, I pray that you begin to open up our hearts. Lord, I pray that you, you shine the light into the dark corners of our hearts, the places that you need to reveal to us. God, I pray that you go before us. Holy Spirit, go before us to our listeners' hearts. God, as we're driving down the street, as we're working out at the gym, however we're listening to this podcast right now, God, I just pray that you begin to invade those places in our heart that we need to surrender to you. God, I pray that Tanya's words encourage us today as we go forward and we go out tomorrow and we live differently than we did today. God, this is only to glorify you. The only reason why we're here today is to glorify your name, Jesus. And so we we push you forward, God. We shine the light on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Tanya, it's awesome to have you here today. I really look forward to our podcast and things that you're going to share with us today. How are you? I, I'm doing good. Or as they say in Haiti, muy bien. I'm doing very well. And it's an honor to be able to, to meet with you today and share the things of God, um, the things that he's doing in Haiti and around the world. And we were supposed to have a podcast last week, but we had some complications. And so I'm glad that we were able to connect now and I'm ready to get into it. Me too. Let's go. <laughs> First off, Tanya, if you could just take some time and just share your testimony with us. I appreciate the opportunity to give glory to my God. Uh, I grew up in a difficult family situation that plunged me into the depths of despair, uh, starting from the time when I was a very, very little girl. My first, very first memory is is one of misery and violence, uh, starting at about the age of three. Um, And this pattern of abuse and abandonment and neglect would sow seeds of extreme stress, and fear into the very core of my character. And it would end up leading me to depths and into depths of darkness that I cannot fully be able to describe to you in the brief time that we have together today. I do remember one particular experience um, that I'll share with you. I was around 11 years old and there was a situation that had happened in my home that led me to a place of profound uh, pain and anxiety and and fear and hopelessness um, that is um, really indescribable. And I remember after the experience had happened, I had gone into my bedroom and I absolutely destroyed my room. I, I ripped things out of my closet. I turned things over. I just went into a state of rage. And I remember at one point in time after I had worn myself out, I was hiding behind the dresser that I had just ripped apart and just in almost like a a curled up type fetal position. And in my mind, the best I can describe this is I saw in my mind a black line. And over that line, it was all blackness. It was complete emptiness. And I remember in my mind thinking, If I go over that line, the pain will stop. There'll be nothing. And I remember, I would not have used at the time because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, 
but I, I, I would have had a difficulty putting words to it. But now looking back, it was like a temptation. It was like the enemy came to me and was taunting me to step into insanity. And here I was, just an 11-year-old little girl, in tremendous pain and fear and anxiety and hopelessness, looking at insanity and wanting to step into it. I now understand what I didn't understand then is God's grace came in and, and kept me from stepping over into that insanity. Fortunately, I didn't step over that line into insanity in my heart and head, but it didn't end the pain. The pain continued. Um, the situations continued to be difficult in my family. And I end up finding myself um, dabbling in forms of witchcraft. I began to uh, cut myself even before that was even heard of or even spoken of like it is today. I mean, this is many years ago now. Um, but I remember very clearly sitting and just ripping the skin off, particularly my arms, not really understanding why I was doing that, but just feeling the need to do it. I would eventually get into misusing drugs and alcohol, including very hard drugs. I would get into destructive behaviors of, of lying and stealing and looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, and it would eventually come to a point in time that um, I would um, get married at a very, very young age, right out of high school. And that relationship um, was not a healthy one. I just, I thought at the time that, that maybe marriage would be the answer for me and the pain that I was in and the turmoil that I was in. Witchcraft wasn't working. Drugs weren't working. Alcohol wasn't working. All my destructive behaviors weren't giving me the peace that I was longing for. Um, and the love that I was hungering for. And so I decided to marry my high school sweetheart. And that was not a healthy situation. Um, and it would eventually lead to a separation. In that separation, I moved out of the immediate area uh, where my husband and I lived at the time and took on another position with my job. And it's a place called Bible Hill, believe it or all not. Um, God has such a sense of humor. And here we are in Bible Hill in uh in the province in which I'm from here in, in Canada. And this one particular night, I remember writing in my journal. I had been writing, I didn't have called it a journal, it was like a diary. And I still have that to this day. And I wrote in it, I don't know why I'm in so much pain. I feel like I'm searching for something. And then I put, no, I think I'm searching for someone. And Lo and behold, about two weeks later, I received a phone call from my estranged husband at the time, and he had come into information that had made him um, very upset and angry about something that I had done while we were together. And in his anger and rage, he said these words. He said, Tanya, you are going to hell for this. Now, he wasn't a Christian any more than I was, but in those words that he spoke, it was as if literally a physical blow hit my heart. I felt it on the inside of my being. I didn't know anything about a broken heart. I didn't know anything about the scriptures and, and, the, and the need for Christ as a savior um, and to be born again. I didn't know any of that, but I knew when he spoke those words that it was truth, that I was deserving of help, um, that I couldn't blame the people who had hurt me or misused me or abandoned me or abused me for the state of my own soul. And so with a cigarette in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other hand, I went to my knees and I looked up to the ceiling and I said, God, I don't know if you are real, but if you are real, please help me because I have made a mess of my life. I, at that point in time, I wasn't blaming anyone else. I took full responsibility for the state of my own soul. And I didn't hear angels, and I didn't have a warm, fuzzy feeling, and I didn't hear or see anything. I was just in profound pain, but I meant what I said. And I got up off the floor and went on to, for the rest of my day and, and continued on. But within, a, I would say within a few days, I started to realize that something was different. I was different. Uh, things that I would say or do before all of a sudden were comfortable for me. I couldn't use profane words. I couldn't hear. It was like nails on a chalkboard. I, I started to have thoughts of, I should go to church, which was completely bizarre for me. Then I started to have thoughts of, I wonder if I have a Bible or if I could read a Bible. And here's a party girl um, that would sometimes party Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all of a sudden wanting to read the Bible and go to church. I thought, this was my thought. Dallas, I thought, what is wrong with me? 
And then I had a flash thought. Now I recognize it as the voice of God. I didn't at the time. I was changed when I came up off our floor that morning, the early morning in a place called Bobble Hill. And I realized there was a real God who really did care and who really did show up in the mess of my life and changed me. And so here we are now, um, many, many years later, and I've been able to serve the Lord ever since then. I have never been the same again. I was, I have been profoundly changed um, in my character and my uh, lifestyle, the dreams and desires of my life. And have been able to go on and um, eventually become a pastor and uh, then begin to uh, do the work of missions all around the world. And again, I, while I wouldn't want to go back to that place of pain, and I certainly continue to grieve for not only the pain that I lived in as a, as a little girl, but also the pain that caused other people because of my sin and my soul sickness. But when I look back now, I see the hand of God shaping and molding me to prepare me for what I would eventually encounter in places all around the world, but especially um, in in my beloved um, adopted land of Haiti. I have a question for you. Sure. Did you have any complications after giving your life to Jesus um, in the city that you were living in? Because it says that a prophet has little honor in his hometown, right? Um, when Jesus began doing ministry, they're like, oh, I know Jesus. Yeah, I know his mother. I know his brothers. You know, did you have any problems after giving your life to Jesus and your mind started to change? You know, I want to go to church. I want to read the Bible. Yes. Did all of that stuff yes. start to, did it cause resistance or was it? Yes, that is, that's a great question. Um, and the answer is it, it did have a significant impact on um, that marriage relationship. It was restored for a period of time, but um, it, it was not able to be sustained because now I was a different person. And so I would have uh, my then husband off in another area of the home doing the things that I used to do. And I'm off in the bedroom reading the Bible and, and watching Christian television and in prayer. And so eventually that relationship um, was not able to continue and there was a divorce. And and in that divorce, uh, words that were spoken such as, you know, you're a Bible thumper now and I don't I don't even know who you are. And so I don't blame him for that because I wasn't the person that he married. I, I was different. I thought different. I behaved differently. I had different desires. And and so that was a very painful experience, I'm sure also for him, not just for me, but for him, because the person that he married was no longer there. She no longer existed. And so um, and then, of course, the people that had watched me grow up and had seen the behaviors that I was engaging in, I'm sure it was a complete shock, um, you know, to go from being a party girl to being a preacher. You know, I remember my high school reunion um, and people with great profanity would say, you are what? <laughs> what do you mean you're a pastor? Like, what? what is this? Because I really... I really was in such a mess. And in that mess, I exhibited um, such um, a depth of, of really darkness. And, and people knew that and saw that. They may not have known really where it was coming from, but they did recognize that this, there's something wrong with her. I would actually go so far as to say um, that I probably was very much demon-possessed. The way that I was had been... Um, opening doors in my own life, doors that had been opened on my behalf, especially as a little girl, um, that I was a very sick individual. And so when I be became this Jesus follower, that really um, set shockwaves through my life and into some of my relationships. And some of them did come to an end, including that marriage, but also other friendships and relationships where people just didn't really know what to do with me. I have a really similar story to you. Yeah, that's one of the things that I encountered. Um, I never talked to anybody about it, but I just felt that is that when I gave my life to Jesus after using drugs and after all that party life, it was like I was a radical mm -hmm. person, you know. I was not just mm -hmm. going to use drugs. I had to use it all the time and I had to go all in, you know. Yeah. And yeah. when I gave my life to Jesus, it was the same way. I was like, no, I'm going all in. I went to a Christian discipleship program for my addiction and met Jesus and went all out. I, I got some of that. I felt some of that was, that, oh, this is just the next thing. Like Dallas is in trouble. Now he's just going to use Jesus for mm -hmm. a while, you know? And yeah, I definitely received well, some I resistance, have a, like you a said. Verse that, well, thank you for sharing that. And, I'm, and I, I share it not only in your pain of that, but I'm sure you would agree that he or she who has been forgiven much loves much. I agree. And there Absolutely. is a price to pay for following the Lord. And I, I, I my grief is... 
not solely for myself and the loss of the relationships, but I, I feel the pain of those that just were hurt in, in my decision to go in a totally radical different direction in my life. And, you know, I continue to pray for many and most of those people. You're right. You're exactly right. Because we give our life to Jesus and, and our heart looks different. You know, our life looks different moving forward, but we still did hurt people, you know, and it's, it's very real. That's right. And we still have to live with some of those consequences. Yeah. And I think what you said is you're absolutely. still praying for him. That's the best way to go forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's my, that's where I continue to, I guess, have the greatest sense of sorrow when I look back over those years is I still live with a deep sadness over the hurt that I caused other people. You know, I'm being very selective because of a number of issues. One or time um, restraints here to really get into the depths of some of the things that had happened to me. And so even some of the things I did to other people, but my, the pain that perhaps you may hear or that I may speak of, the greater pain is the pain that I caused other people, not just the pain that was caused to me. The pain that I caused other people has also had an impact on my life. And so my praying for others is that God would often, I'll say, Lord, heal the hearts of those that I have hurt. Yes, I have been a victim and there has been these difficult family situations in my life. There has been forms of neglect and abuse and abandonment, but I have hurt other people in my pain maybe even unlikely, even more so. Please heal their hearts. As you've given me grace and forgiven me and have done a healing work in my life, please, in the midst of your mercy, manifest that mercy to those that I have hurt so that they too can taste and see that you alone are good and that it's in your name that we find our freedom and our forgiveness. When you gave your life to Jesus and you decided to be a Christian, maybe a, a Bible-thumping Christian, some would call it, what took you into wanting to do missions, wanted to be a pastor other than just being a, a normal Christian of just going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and reading your Bible? That's a, that's a great question. There is, a, because of the radical encounter that I had with the Lord, and the also in addition to that radical encounter, the element that I was in that story of encountering Jesus, it didn't come through what tends to be for many um, the story of another Christian coming and, and or hearing a sermon, um, speaking of the need to know Christ as Savior and having that opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer and then be discipled and then be mentored in a church community and family. You know, that's, those, are, those are amazing testimonies. People's lives are genuinely changed in those situations. But for me, I had a radical encounter with Jesus without those elements. I heard somebody who was, who was lost just like I was, who said words that were truth and divinely directed, but they weren't coming from the heart of a Christian who led me and saying, now, Tanya, you're deserving, for, you're deserving of hell for this. Therefore, you should receive Christ as Savior and be born again. And let me lead you in a sinner's prayer. That didn't happen. What happened was the scriptures were fulfilled filled in that I confessed my sins and he was faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I was born of his spirit. And so I was a different person. The old was gone and the new had come, but I didn't know any of that. And so right away, immediately after this encounter with Jesus that changed me, I'm like, what happened to me? Because I didn't have the theological understanding. I didn't have another Christian in my life at that time mentoring me. And so I went to the very only thing I knew what to do was to say, okay, you're obviously real. You do hear my prayers. I need to learn more about you. And so I grabbed that very same book that I wrote in weeks before that I think I'm looking for someone. And I pulled that out and I grabbed the Bible, which at that time was a um, an NLT, New Testament. Had it been the King James version of the, you know, of, of the Old New Testament, I'm not sure how I would have handled that at that point in time, but it was very easy for me to read and understand. And I would write out my questions. Well, Jesus was such a good guy. Why did he have to die? Well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, what does it mean I have to be born again? And so for the first number of months and even years after this encounter with Jesus, it was me, the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit. I didn't really know any different. I wasn't churched in that way. And so out of that, there was this, this shaping of God in my soul that I needed to tell others about this radical God who radically and really loves people even like me. Messed up, probably demon-possessed, made horrible decisions, horrible mistakes that hurt other people, and yet he would still be willing to come for me and be my God. And so I had, I had to tell other people. 
And because um, I tend to be a communicator and I tend to um, want to talk and share and teach, um, it seemed to be a supernatural, natural fit for me to move into eventually um, a local church, then a local community, and then nationally, and then going globally. When I was um, a young mom, with uh, at that point in time, I had two of our three children. I had another radical encounter with, with the Lord that also propelled me globally. I had um, been reading in the Word of God this Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Now, I didn't know at that point in time that those were the words of Jesus also spoken in Luke chapter four, I believe. But I just sensed God is trying to say something to me through this scripture. What does this mean? And it has been a pattern from the time when I first met him. I would go to the word of God. I would go to the prayer and I would have a communicative um, time of interaction with my God, speaking to him and saying, teach me, show me. And I would listen and I would learn and I would write down what he was saying to me. And so this particular encounter, I felt this within my soul that God was trying to say something very, very specific to my life. And the best, again, I can describe it is that it was, I was in a, it was similar to giving childbirth. It was like, for those of us who've been moms, when our bodies do what they were created to do in giving birth, and there's an inner working of the body to be able to give birth to that baby. It was as in my soul, there was something that God was birthing. And while it was painful, it was also powerful, and it was also beautiful, and it was also pure. And I was on my face, literally with my nose to the carpet, in this place of spiritual groaning. And I heard, not audibly, but it could it should have been it was so powerful inside of me that said tanya are you willing to suffer for my sake if it be my will and it i mean it dallas i i it stopped me in my tracks i i thought i don't know if i want that <laughs> uh suffering uh, rejection misunderstanding um loneliness and so i paused and i then felt the lord say to me Will you do it if it be my will, and it will reach the masses for me and my glory and my praise? And then I saw what would be like a TV screen in my mind, and I saw multitudes of people coming to Jesus and bowing before him, recognizing him as Savior and Lord as their source of hope and healing. And the Lord said, will you do it for me to reach them? And I took a deep breath and I mean, I don't, I don't know how the other people would respond, but in my thinking, I was like, who is going to say no to God? I mean, I had lived a life of saying no to God and that didn't work for me. And so I said, yes, Lord, for you, I'm willing to go. And once that was said, and again, I get up off the carpet like I did many, many years ago in the place called Bible Hill, a different place, but in a different carpet, but the same similar powerful encounter with Jesus. When I came up off that floor, from my nose to the carpet, there was a drivenness and a passion to be to to go to wherever God would send me to give this message of hope that once again, if God is willing to save someone like me, as messed up as I was, he is willing to save anybody, no matter what mess they're in, no matter what mess anybody else put them in, no matter what mess they put themselves in, no matter what the pain is or the pit is, God is able and he is willing. And I wrote in my Bible, and I still again have the same Bible, and I wrote in the scriptures, P-I-T, pit. And I felt the Lord say to me, and as a matter of fact, even in my journal today, even though I wasn't aware I was going to discuss this with you, I actually wrote it in my journal to, with my time with the Lord today, that same word, P-I-T, meaning preacher in training. And so out of that place of pain, out of the pit, out of being a female preacher and pastor, and all that that would bring into my life, rejection, misunderstanding, loneliness. God has continued to propel me to various places in the world, even a place like Haiti, where there is profound pain, profound suffering, where there are children and young people who are in a mess, messes that other people have put them in, messes they put themselves in, who wonder, is there a God? If there is a God, is he willing to hear someone like me? I actually had a child say that very thing um, in sharing his story. His name was Curvins. And Curvins at that time, this would have been about two years ago now, he would have been probably about 14 years old. He was a street boy. There's thousands and thousands of children living on the streets of Haiti. 
and he was one of them. And he was in a situation where he was um, with his peers. There were other street boys there at that time. I was there, you know, a, a white female missionary from from Canada. And and here he was standing there telling his story. And he had his arms lifted up with tears running down his face. And this is what he told us. He said, I am, my father is a voodoo priest and I was raised in a voodoo home. And situations were so difficult in his home that at one point in time, he decided that he needed to run to the streets of Haiti for refuge, only to find himself, as many of them do, in a far worse situation on the streets, trying to survive um, the pain and the poverty of, of Haiti on the streets of Haiti. And oftentimes, these boys will gather in groups and even in gangs because there's 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 security in that, physical security in being with other groups. And also, there's also a somewhat a sense, even as, as dysfunctional as it may be, there's a sense of family in that and friendship in that. And so here he was part of this gang and clearly a leader among them. And he would go to these other boys, a couple of these other street kids, and he would say, okay, we're going to gather over in this corner in the street and we're going to pray. Now, keep in mind, Kirvin's is from a non-Christian home, a Buddha priest home isn't proclaiming to know Jesus as Savior, but out of his desperation, out of his pain, he's going to seek what he hopes will be a God that will hear him. And so he told the story of how he would gather these boys, and they would go to, this, to their knees, and they would say this, God, we don't know if you are real, and we don't know if you will listen to people like us, i.e. Haitian boys living on the streets, but if you are real and you will hear us, please send help. And so here I am having a flashback to being not a whole lot older than Kirvin's was when I went to my knees and I said very much the same word, God, I don't know if you're real. And if you listen to someone like me, i.e. someone who has made a mess of their lives and hurt a lot of people in the process, but if you are real, please help me. And so that was a seed that was planted in my soul and watered as I listened to this beautiful Haitian boy tell his story with tears running down his face. And I knew that I was positioned in Haiti, having learned some of the culture, having learned the language well enough to be able to communicate, that God had been shaping and molding me from the time I was that little girl and that difficult family situation to be able to speak now into the lives of others like me, maybe a different culture in a different country, but also who needed to know there was a God who was there, who did care, and could indeed take that pain and make something powerful out of it. Incredible. How long have you been in Haiti now? Yeah, I think we are now in our coming into our seventh year. Wow. And so with your testimony, and you say the brokenness that's in Haiti. Um, and I've heard, I don't know much about Haiti, but they speak Haitian Creole and French, right? That's correct. The majority speak Haitian Creole. Um, the Haitians that have opportunity to be educated um, are French-speaking um, Haitians. The public schools that are in Haiti are French-speaking, but many of the Haitians, um, certainly rurally, will speak Haitian Creole, which is a combination of French and uh, Western African dialect. And so moving there and with your past testimonies, your past life and your experience in the world, the world as in living not for Jesus, and coming to Haiti and you say that there's all that brokenness and stuff there, has that really shaped the way that you do ministry? Has that really helped you connect with other people who are experiencing oh. the same types of things? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, even our, our Haitian friends and we have um, Haitian staff with our ministry, Loving the Least of These Ministries International. And, and when I'm out on the street um, with these kids, they, they, are, they are just in amazement. Um, I've had some of the street children say, um, you know, Pastor Tanya, there's, there's always a light around Around you. Now, I don't see that light and I don't necessarily have a, a physical feeling of it, but I know it to be the Lord with me. And so it, it appears to me that because one, I'm a foreigner, that gives me some favor with these kids. And two, um, because of my background of trauma, there's a language that brokenness, broken people speak, even if there's a language issue where you may not speak Spanish or Portuguese or French or Creole or whatever. There's a heart understanding of despair. And, 
and that experience of being that 11 year old girl and looking at insanity is a means of escape from the pain. These kids are in that situation where they are in this state of pain. And so they recognize the message of hope coming their way simply by acknowledging them because there's, there is some cultural issues that make it harder, I think, for um, perhaps their fellow Haitians to see them the way that I would see them. And so they seem to really respond to that. And they respond to touch and love and respect. Um, and they get excited now when they see me because they know that I'm going to touch them. You know, I'm going to talk with them. I'm going to listen to them. And I'm going to do what I can do to give them not only the verbal message of hope, but even the practical or playing of how to give them that message of hope. Because the truth is, Alice, without inter intervention, these children will die and are dying on the streets of Haiti. The very first encounter that I had with one of these street children was back in 2016, around January 2016. And I have to tell you, it still rocks me to this day, to the core of my being in that experience. And so here I am, um, Haiti is um, a very busy place. It is um, half the size, the country's half the size of my home province of Nova Scotia. We have about 940,000 people living in what is the second smallest province of my country. In Haiti, half the size of Nova Scotia is 10.7 million. And so there's people everywhere. And there's goats and there's chickens and there's there's, there's markets and, and merchants and dirt and dust and garbage. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, for a country girl from, no, you know, rural Nova Scotia, Canada, it's, it's sensory overload. And the way in which I'm able to function in Haiti is I have to turn down some of those sensories in order to be able to avoid overload. And so I will turn down the sight or the sound, you know, I'll kind of lower the volume on the Creole around me so that I can function and not go into the state of burnout. And that was the state I was in this particular day. I was with my husband, Darren, and I was with another fellow missionary from Europe who had just come into the country and was starting ministry and was needing to know where do I go get groceries and what market should I go to and what areas are safe for me to go and get the things I need. And so we took her out that day to the streets of Haiti to go to some of the shops where we knew that she would be safe to be able to buy her her merchandise and typical Haitian situation in the streets of Haiti, dirty, dusty, noisy. Um, I'm down in this situation where I'm downsizing my sensory overload and really not really paying attention. It's just kind of a blur. But as my husband pulled in behind a security wall to this little store, in the corner of my eye, it was like a, a Holy Spirit highlighter to what I was seeing. There was the dirty, dusty road. Then there was a, a vehicle parked on the side of the dirty, dusty road. There was the wall, the security wall to the store and in between the vehicle and the security wall was what appeared to me to be a man and a curled up almost like a fetal position on the on the dirty road in the corner there by the security wall in this vehicle and this was with the thought this is not normal something's wrong I wonder if they're hungry I'll get something to eat and drink for them I never said anything to my husband or my missionary colleague. We just went into the into the little market, and I just went about my business of getting things together to go take to what I thought was an adult on the street. We got our items. We came back out. My husband and, and missionary colleague got into the vehicle, and I scooted around the security wall. And as I was heading towards this, what I thought was a man, two things happened immediately. One, I saw their arm would appear to be burned. It was like underneath this beautiful brown skin, there was what was almost the color of my own Caucasian skin. And I thought, who burned him? What I didn't know then, which I now know, is one of the signs of starvation is the skin begins to peel off. And the next thing that happened was a Haitian woman come across carrying a baby in her arm in a rather unusual Haitian cultural way. And the woman came towards me the first time and the only time this has happened. And she said to me in English with a voice that went like this. She said, hello. Not cool. And came in like a snake movement into my face. It reminded me of the movie, The Passion of Christ, The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson, where there's a scene where Jesus is being crucified and Satan with the Antichrist in his arms, which was the same way that this woman was holding this baby. The baby didn't look like Antichrist, and I'm not presenting this any kind of perception that that was what was happening. However, that was the experience of her coming into my, twisting like a snake into my face and saying with this very unusual um, voice using English to communicate with me. And I thought, holy heavens, what is happening here? This was outside of my realm of reference. 
And I acknowledged her and then I went towards what I thought was an adult and I looked down and recognized it was about a boy, probably between the ages of 12 to 14, and he was indeed in an awkward position. And I went and I touched him gently with this food and this drink in my hand and I said, Est-ce que Ugangu? Are you hungry? Est-ce que soif? Are you thirsty? I have food for you. I have a bottle of water for you. No movement, no movement, no acknowledgement. So I stood there with this woman standing over me, watching my every movement, trying to go through the filing of my soul to go, what do I do here? What is happening? Now I am definitely sensory overload, even spiritually so. And so I tried yet again in Creole, speak to him to say, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I have something for you. Again, no movement. And I began to wonder, is this child dying? Because as a pastor, I had been in experiences with people who are passing from this life to the next. And so this was not an unfamiliar experience to me. But I was trying to process, how was this happening in a busy street in Haiti with all these people around? And there's a child on the street laying on the ground in this fetal type position. I looked over my shoulder and there was a security guard leaning up against the wall with a gun in his arms watching me. And he says to me, he's hungry, Li Grongu. And I acknowledged him and said, I know he's hungry, but he won't move. And so he kind of came over with this authoritative, you know, stepping movement, soldier-like way, very, you know, assertive, aggressive and tame. And he said to the same thing to the boy and he tried to move the boy and there was no movement from that child. Finally, after a multitude of attempts, this little boy, this little 12-year-old, 13, 14-year-old boy lifted his head ever so slightly and with unfocused eyes just stared ahead. And I said again, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I have something for you. And without moving his head or his body, his eyes just slowly lifted up like a, a up and down, like a yes. And so I gave him what I had and I quickly scoot it back across the, the security wall and back into the vehicle with my husband and missionary colleague. And it hit me, holy heavens, God almighty, what just happened here? Because we had been in the country for a number of years by then, and we had been building buildings in the country. We would build the buildings, the schools, the churches, the, the medical facilities, the pastor's housing, all throughout the country of Haiti. And yet what I was recognizing was we were building buildings, which was a, a good thing and a needed thing, and I'm sure was very much appreciated by the Haitians who were receiving those buildings. However, I had just found what I what seemed to be a child dying on the streets of Haiti. And God switched our focus from the building of buildings to the building of lives. Because here we were finding again and again the Curvins who were saying, God, we don't even know if you're real and if you really if you would even talk to to children like us living on the streets in the in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, please send help to literally finding a child who was dying on the streets of Haiti to now being able to recognize the pain in these children's lives and say, I like to fight off fear and despair and suicidal thoughts and, and, and try to, you know, medicate the pain with drugs and, and alcohol and poor lifestyle choices. I know what it's like, but I also know what it's like to call out to this God and recognize, yes, he is real. He is real and he does care and he does hear and I do matter to him. And so our passion now is to tell these kids, first and foremost, he is there. He does care and you do matter to him. He knows you by name and he has a hope and a plan and a purpose for you, a future for you. And then to begin to work with them, not only in introducing Christ's compassion to them and see them come to Christ, but to get them off the streets of Haiti and back into family environments, family type homes be able to be rescued, restored, redeemed, restored, and reunited into families. And the Loving the Least of These Ministries International was born. And the Loving wow. the Least of These absolutely was birthed in those experiences for sure. And and whatever you've done in the least of these, I'm sure you know the scripture in Matthew, whatever you've done in the least of these, you've done unto me. And so for me, Every child that I'm able to minister to, every child that I'm able to speak to and have them look into my eyes, because many of these children will not look at me in the eyes, but I, I encourage them. I look them in the eyes to say, I see you and you matter. And every child that I'm able to reach out to brings a level of restoration into my own life to say, as I look back over those painful early years, they do matter. God is able to redeem that trauma. And not only give me a testimony, but multiply it and give it a sense 
of his love in the lives of the others like the least least so that they too have a testimony and, and to see Haitian children rescued and redeemed and then to see them rise up to take um, the leadership of their own land, which is a land of such turmoil, such pain, suffering that I can't even begin to have words to describe and to see them come from the lowest level of society to a higher level of society to be able to see the change of their own country to the glory and honor and praise of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't want to really do much other than that uh, with my life and to see that people are pointed towards him, particularly people who are in profound pain. Wow. Thank you, Tanya, so much for being a part of the podcast today. And I appreciate the opportunity to share with you, Dallas. It's been a real joy and pleasure. I'm blown away. I'm a missionary and I'm like, whoa, I need to step up my game. You're really doing something over there. Well, to the globe, this is the greatness of our God. Amen. As we're approaching into year 2020, what is your focus? What is your, your mission there in Haiti in the next year? I love that question. That's my favorite one, I think, possibly so far. Um, we do have an orphanage uh, called, uh, we call House of Hope. The Haitians actually named it saying this is our place of hope. And so we do have some children that we are caring for now, but there are so many more that need to have um, the compassion of Christ just poured out on their lives. And so we are looking to see more street children come off the streets and be again restored and be able to be reunited into families. And so we're beginning a feeding program. We actually had intended to start it a number of months ago, but with the political protests that shut the country down for, I think we were uh, 12 or 13 weeks of the country being in complete shutdown and lockdown, we were able, not able to safely go out into the streets to be able to minister to the street kids. Um, and so we're looking now that the country is calmer to be able to go back in and to initiate that program where we can feed one of these children, one we can feed them a meal for one U.S. dollar. That meal includes rice, beans, a source of meat, and um, as well as a drink and a dessert for one U.S. dollar. And our goal is to not only feed them physically, but to feed them spiritually and to continue to build relationships with them and then begin to work with them one-on-one -on -one and locating their own stories of why are they on the streets. Because many of these children actually have families. Not all of them are orphans. There are some who are orphans, but many are not. They do have family situations that, for whatever reason, has placed them on the streets. And so our goal is to minister to them physically and spiritually, build relationships with them, mentor them in a relationship with Jesus, and then see them restored back into a healthy family environment, working with the families to be able to be reunited with their children. And so we're excited to be able to go back in now that the country is a bit calmer to begin to initiate that actual program. And to think that it only takes one U.S. dollar just continues to stun me to think we can reach a child for a U.S. dollar, one U.S. dollar. Um, what an honor and privilege to be able to do that. Because whatever, again, we've done in the least of these, we've done unto the Lord. We're also bringing on more uh, Haitian staff. For every one Haitian who is able to receive employment, they are actually caring for upwards of four to five other family members or neighbors. And so we are working with our current staff and being able to disciple them and mentor them not only spiritually as well, but giving them training, um, giving them skill sets that will strengthen them and encourage them and help them to be able to also better provide for their families. We are ultimately the core of loving the least of these ministries is empowering people. It's not to fix them or to fix their problems. Haitians are incredibly intelligent, creative people, but they lack oftentimes the material resources or access to those resources, opportunities to go to school, opportunities to get training and develop skill sets. And so our heart is to empower Haitians, whether and it's on the streets of Haiti or whether it's in our, our orphanage or whether it's in bringing them in for opportunities to have um, mentorship and training in whatever skill will help them be able to start their own businesses. And so uh, we're really passionate about being able to do um, even more work in these areas than we've already done coming into uh, 2020. Sounds like a good plan. Wow. Tanya, thank you so much again for being a part of the podcast today. I, again, I'm honored. I enjoyed sharing with you. And how can our, how can our listeners find you? They can visit our, us on lovingtheleastofthese.org. We do have a website there with more information that people can go and visit and find out more of and reach us through our website. We also have an email address, uh, qcey -E at 
lovingtheleastofthese.org. We do have a Facebook page that people can go and, and join and visit. We periodically put up um, videos and stories and, and uh, information on how people can support or participate in the work that we're doing in Haiti. And uh, we would love to hear from anyone who wants, who wants to share their story, um, who wants to share uh, what God's doing in their lives and how they are serving the least of these um, in their places. Because as you know, God calls us to, to be reaching out to people wherever he's positioned us. Uh, for you and I, it's the mission field and other cultures and countries, but all of us are called to serve and to love the least of these. And so I'd love to hear from people who are doing just that and that I may encourage them and, and pray for them and bless them in the work that they do for our Lord. And if you guys would like to support Tanya and the loving of least of these ministry, like she said, you can feed a Haitian child for one U.S. dollar. That's encouraging that it's, you know, we can all do that. You know, one dollar that could feed one Haitian child. Tanya, thanks again for being a part of the podcast. Um, would you pray us out to end the podcast? Amen. It would be such a blessing. Father, we come before you and we recognize you as our loving father. You are a good and good and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, merciful and kind and long-suffering. And I worship you as my father today and as my Lord and my God, as my creator, my alpha, my omega. And I praise you for being the beginning and the end. And I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share today just a portion of your presence in my life and the things that you are doing uh, through my life and the lives of others. To you alone, I pray you would receive all the glory and the honor and the praise. And I pray, Father, for those that will hear that which was shared today, that they would be encouraged, that they would be inspired, that they would be motivated that they would mobilize their lives to live a lifestyle of loving on the least of these that you place in their path. It could be the person that they sleep beside at night. It could be the person over their, their, their yard and, and the other side of the fence, or, or maybe it's somebody at their workplace or in their school that, that Lord, there would, be, there would be something contagious that takes place in their soul today that causes them to say, here am I. Send me and trust that you will empower them and equip them to be all that you designed and desire and destined and died to make them. And that, Lord, there would just be a revolution of people who are radical for you, who have been forgiven much and therefore do love much, especially loving on to the least of these. Thank you for Dallas. Thank you for the work you're doing in his life. Thank you that he's able to be a microphone for you and to be able to put out into the global world the things that you are doing all around the world. Bless him. Bless him indeed. Bless the work of his hands. Bless the, the service that he's doing in Brazil. And I pray that it would be a source of great fulfillment, a, great, a place of great fruitfulness in the kingdom of God, and that it would be a place where he encounters you, and out of those encounters with you, he just spreads the love of Christ all around. And bless him and bless him indeed, I pray. Thank you again. that you, While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Dallas and I share the story of such brokenness, but we also share the testimony of triumph because of Jesus Christ. To him alone may all glory and honor and praise be given. And as my Haitian and our Haitian brothers and sisters say, bon Dieu, li bon tout temps. God is good all the time, and all the time our God is good. In his name we pray today. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. With your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.